Welcome to the Catalyst Church Podcast. We're here up in Humboldt County, California. We're glad you're with us. We hope that you're blessed and that you find peace and grace in the Word of God today. Good morning, everyone. Hi, friends. It's good, good to see to, you. It's good to be with you. Uh, we are uh, joining you from the, the Shea house. Um, yep. uh, here we are in 2021. Happy New Year to Happy all. Happy New Year. Uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at um, a, path, a passage from uh, Matthew, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And um, we find ourselves in that uh, we just finished Advent, and now we are, uh, in the, we are moving into Epiphany. And uh, maybe you could share a little bit about where yeah. where that kind of comes yeah, from. Yeah, because you know the way that the way that Christmas is is we have Advent that is like that that anticipation and um, preparation for the birth of Christ, mm. uh, and so we spent those days of Advent before Christmas. But then Christmas comes, and oftentimes we just celebrate Christmas Day, and then we like move on with our lives, take the tree down, put the gifts away, put everything else away, and unpack it again next year. But really, Christmas begins Christmas Day, and then it continues forth for 12 more days. So it, it will end on uh, January 6th, which is when Epiphany actually happens. Today we are doing our Sunday gathering and our Sunday sermon from the Epiphany passage. But Epiphany just mm-hmm. means, um, it means the, un- the, the unveiling, essentially, or yep. the revelation unveiling. of Jesus to the Gentiles. And so we see in the passage of Matthew that we'll be reading... It is uh, where the Magi come. So usually like the we look at the nativity scene on our mantle and there's how many Magi are on it? Three. <laughs> Were there three in the we, story? Yeah, we don't, we don't, the number three is not there. Um, no. We certainly in the passage uh, read that there were three gifts given, but they, mm-hmm. um, there's no reason for us to connect the those two together necessarily. Yeah. Um, so... So today, uh, what we'd like to do is um, talk to you a little bit about what was revealed. Yeah, yeah. What, what was, was really unveiled. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and I like to call, I almost like the the title of this Sunday to be um, the Great Holy Hospitality. Ooh, ooh, I really like that. Yeah. So we'll see where it goes. Okay. Um, <laughs> I've written that down in a few different places because I do think there's something there. Yeah. Um, so you want to start start us off. Yeah, so uh, we'll be in Matthew 2, 1 to 12, as we said. If you have your Bibles, we encourage you to open them and read along with us. Mm -hmm. Uh, Instead of just hearing God's Word spoken, it's really beautiful to read alongside uh, since God's Word is so holy and so good. And if anyone doesn't have a Bible, we are more than happy to bring you one. Absolutely. Um, We'll mail one to you or drop it off at your doorstep if you're local. I think we should FedEx it. But for those of you who listen from far away, we can certainly do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so we'll just start with verses 1 to 2. Did you want okay. to read the first two verses, Jay? Uh, yeah. So it says, In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its, ri- at its rising, and we have come to pay him homage. Mm. Okay. Yours is a little bit different. Yeah, so it calls it calls the wise men magi, okay. and I did some research on that why they did that, and mm-hmm. it's because the word um, the word wise men connects really well with the passage out of Daniel that talks about Daniel. Daniel is um, 
you know, from the, the book of the Old Testament, Daniel is this prophet. He is in exile with the people of Israel in Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar uh, sees Daniel and how great Daniel is in many ways with how wise Daniel mm. is. Uh, Daniel like interprets this really important dream of King Nebuchadnezzar. And so King Nebuchadnezzar is like so mad at all of his wise men, his, uh, his magi essentially, and he's about to destroy all of them, kill them all, because he's just like, they, they can't get anything done. And Daniel said, no, 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 let me, let me help them, let me train them, let me hmm. raise them up. And so he, King Nebuchadnezzar, appoints Daniel over all of the wise men in, uh, in Babylon. So uh, the idea then is like that connection between the magi and the wise men, those langu that language is to connect those. Some scholars think it's to connect them. It was in the King James but, Version. And we also think of them as astrologers. Yeah, astrologers or astronomers, or astronomers, people that are looking up at the sky, studying the stars. Studying the stars, yeah. studying the way uh, the way the heavens move, perhaps? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, there's so much to be told with the stars. There, this is not a, a new concept. I mean, sailors would figure out where they were going based upon the direction of the stars. And they could they could figure out where they needed mm -hmm. to end up. And so following a star or following a star pattern isn't something that's like weird or new. I mean, the, the idea that this star like moved and stopped, that is definitely a little bit mind-bending for sure. But um, but we've long, people throughout millennia have long looked mm -hmm. up at the night sky for answers of where they are supposed to go. So this is not like some sort of weird thing, I don't think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's that's good. Um, so. Uh, do you want to walk us a little yeah. bit into this sort of nativity scene that we find ourselves upon? Yeah, yeah. So it's not three wise men. We know that already. Um, you know, the the songs that we sing, We Three Kings, even that is something that, you know, it, we limit the story in a way. We kind of like box it in uh, based on our own traditions. And so the the there were prob there was probably quite a large entourage, honestly. Like, mm. There was probably quite a number of these astrologers, these pagan, you know, magi, I mean, magicians. You said, the word, you said the word pagan. Yeah, I mean, just not well, that's, that's good. Yeah, no, that's a, yeah, that's an important Jewish, an important word included in this story. Yeah, um, I mean, it's not written in here, but we know that they're from the east. Yeah, they worship different gods, and they had a different perspective on the world, and and you know, so so that whole thing about. Daniel, I think this is important because I think that there is a correlation there. Now, we don't know for sure. This is me speaking into it based on other scholars' works. But, uh, you know, why did the Magi, why did these men travel with their entourage, probably servants and maybe even bodyguards, with these very valuable gifts, hundreds of miles to an unknown land mm -hmm. with an unknown language and unknown people, or at least un unobservable like they probably have never been to that area before especially to bethlehem bethlehem isn't like it's not on the way anywhere no it's not on the way anywhere it's not a trade route nope. it's not where um you wouldn't stop there to fill up perhaps no. um no. It, it yeah it really wasn't on the way to anything no. so if you were going to go to bethlehem there was you had like a very specific reason that's right you um, have to have a reason and, it, and it probably almost required uh more planning and preparation because you did have to go out of the way a bit, yeah. um, away from the main sort of route. Yeah. So the the Magi then, you know, I mean, they went through a lot to mm -hmm. get from where they were to Bethlehem. Yeah. I mean, you think, I mean, we know that they brought three gifts. Um, we know that in these like sort of treasures, 
you know, frankincense, myrrh, and gold. And gold. And that would have required quite a bit of protection, I imagine. I, I imagine mean, to have same. to like yeah. hold on to that for as long as they did. And they what they traveled what, a few hundred miles? We we don't know exactly. I mean the, the we idea just know of it's like, from the east, right? From the east. And and the idea of them traveling all that way. Um hmm. I mean people wonder why. Like why would they like maybe maybe the Holy Spirit moved them in some way, but it's not like they had a relationship with um, with Yahweh that we know of. Uh, but you know, if you think of if you think of them in connection with the stories of Daniel, who was a prophet who may have overseeing the wise mm -hmm. men in Babylon, uh, talked about the God of Israel and talked about the beauty of this new king that would eventually come, the Messiah, who would appear, a king that wouldn't be just for the one nation and to rule with like an iron fist as they had all experienced their entire lives because that is the way of the world, but a king that would rule with a way of peace for all the nations, for every person, that mm. all people would be included into this beautiful thing that would be happening someday. So maybe Daniel talked about this with, with their great, 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 great grandparents and this, this, this language and these writings and this these stories were passed down. There's a God that will be born. There's a there's a king to be born that will that'll be king of the Jews, but actually for all people. Yeah, that's and maybe that's what they were looking for. Well, and that's pretty profound. I mean, the fact that they were asking the question, born king of the Jews. Yeah. And yet there are these people who probably do not worship, you know, at that point in their life, no. any sort of king of the Jews. They had their own own way. Yeah. And yet somehow felt compelled enough to travel all that way and to to uh, sort of change the narrative yeah. um, from king of the Jews to, you said king, you said of all peoples of and all, all people, nations. Of all, well, like, I mean, that's kind of what I see with the Magi, yeah. that God is, God is a global God, that God is not uh, desiring of one nation. God is desiring of global hearts. And what do you think that does to, how do you think that changes our perception of how we, hmm. um, how we follow Christ or how we, um, how we're called to live perhaps, or even from our design? Yeah. I mean, I think that we have this kind of, um, American exceptionalism sort of personhood about us. And that's how, um, I've seen the world for a long time and, uh, and and almost like if like the only way that we can bring God out to others is if we um, conquer and colonize, if we uh, bring the gospel, bring the good news to them mm -hmm. as I know it, because I know it rightly compared to the other people of the world. And so the missionary movements kind of have that idea of like, I'm going to bring it the right way um, because these people don't know anything yet. But yet what we see in this story is is people who might not know the correct way because who does moves all the way over to Christ and are completely transformed through an encounter with a child and which is absolutely incredible. And so I, I see it as like that, 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 that God is doing something amazing for all people that we have something to learn so deeply from the other, whoever the other is in our mind. Mm -hmm. And I think we'll get there in a little bit. Um, but I want to talk about King Herod for a minute because yeah. he's an important part to the story. He's a, is it Edomite, right? He's an Edomite. So he is not Jewish, but yet he is, he is considered king of the Jews. So that would have been kind of like a backhanded, like 
slap in the face, I guess. From Matthew? Yeah, yeah, no. from, from the Magi to, to approach oh, King sure. Herod and be like, uh, where are the king, where's the king of the Jews? Um, as you know, it says, it says in verse two, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So they're talking to King Herod there. And, and, and King Herod so wasn't Jewish. He was appointed there by Rome to kind of oversee Israel. Well, he's appointed there by Caesar. Mm -hmm. So, and and Rome had conquered all the lands, as most of us know mm -hmm. that history. Uh, and Herod was appointed as this puppet ruler, essentially. And he was somebody who um, was scrappy. He was willing to do anything to get to the top. But the history says that he has 10 wives. He actually murders, I think, his first wife. He assassinated anyone who was in his way, anyone who was like pushing back against him, um, including his own children. He had multiple sons murdered uh, because he was afraid of them taking trying, his power. Taking his power, exactly. Yeah. Uh, none of his sons knew which one would then claim the throne in the future, so they were all kind of walking on eggshells all of the time. He was insecure. He was violent and paranoid. He was manipulative. He ruled for 44 years, so this was not just like a blip on the radar of people's lives. For some of these people, they only, only knew, King, knew King, Herod. King Herod. Herod the Great is what he was called. And he was considered great because he also did a lot of good things too. He built a lot of infrastructure. He, um, he rebuilt the temple of Jerusalem for the Jews, but only after he murdered 46 rabbis of the Sanhedrin. Like he... It was like a way of, of making penance, people believe, hmm. or atoning for his his uh, his murdering of all of these people. But when he rebuilt the temple, it wasn't like it was only for a place to worship the Jewish God. It really wasn't for the Jews. It became a center of, um, it became like the IRS, essentially. It was a bank. It was a place hmm. where um, the military had a place to, to find shelter. Um, it was a butchery, of course, because of uh, the sacrifices, but beyond that, um, it, it kind of lost its sacredness, not to the Jewish people, but, um, but within what it was not meant to be. It wasn't meant to be those things. It was meant to be a place of worship for God. So it, yeah. uh, a place that had lost its way. Yeah, yeah. I know I kind of wonder about like when Jesus went to clear out the temple, how much of the losing of the way was um, based upon the culture around them, yeah. you know? So it says in verse three, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. And of course he was disturbed, right? Like, like he isn't being respected by these men, by these magi who came and said like, where's the king? And he's like, well, I'm the king. He didn't say that, but you know, of course right. he was irritated, disturbed. I'm sure he wanted to take them out as he had done before. Um, I'm sure he didn't want to start a war with some foreign royal people or seeming very powerful people. It's always, so, it's, always, yeah. it's always interesting to see what people, what lengths people will go to to protect their power. Yeah. And power is relative too, you know, because in some ways we all hold our own little yeah. mini worlds and... Um, and perhaps we can be indicted in this as well. Um, there's always a message for us. <laughs> there's always a message for us about, uh, you know, ways that we try to, you know, do gym gymnastics to protect our little, 
our kingdom, our little kingdom, yeah, and the way that we see it. Um, and yeah. when something threatens it, what we'll do to, um, what we'll do to keep that. Yeah. Dang, that's so true. And that's a beautiful, beautiful thing about scripture is that we can always find ourselves in the story. In the story. Yeah. There's yeah. a good, there's a couple of good practices you can always do when you're reading is you can always try to identify with one of the characters. And then mm. when you read it next time, identify with a different character. Yeah. Um, yeah. sometimes it's just one character you'll stick with for a while, but, um, yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's, that's super good. So, so he was disturbed and then it also says what Jerusalem yeah, was Yeah, Jerusalem disturbed. was disturbed as well. And I'm, I'm sure that they could only begin to imagine how Herod would respond, um, with prob probable violence because this is a matter of national security, right? Like, like these people are coming in and, and saying that there's another king, um, this would be a problem for Rome. It's a problem for King Herod. It's a problem for um, for a lot of people. So of course, of course, they were disturbed. They weren't disturbed because the Messiah was born. They were disturbed, maybe maybe because of that too, but but because of what Herod would do. Mm -hmm. So let's keep reading. It says um, in verse four, when they when he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law. He asked them where the Messiah was to be born. And I think that's so interesting how he called together all the people's chief priests. So even after all this time that he had been in Jerusalem, he was 40 years reigning at this point. Mm -hmm. um, he still didn't see the priests or anything about, about Yahweh as, as his. Like the, wow. it, it meant nothing to mm -hmm. him. These were still... But the first time we see the word Messiah... Well. Yeah, yeah. And it's Herod that uh that asks. That asks. Yeah. In Bethlehem and Judea they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. I'm just gonna keep reading. It mm -hmm. says, Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. <coughs> on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Hmm. And as the story goes, which we won't read today, Herod, uh, that Joseph is warned in a dream also to leave because Herod was going to go on this murder rampage and kill any a boy that was under the age of right. two. Um, so him and Mary flee. They go to Egypt. They to go flee. to Egypt, mm -hmm. which is not close. No, it probably took them um, about a week to get there. It's over 400 mile walk. And then come back. Um, they end up in uh, in Galilee. Mm -hmm. So that would have been in yeah, Nazareth. Yeah, yeah. So I kind of want to talk about like why... <laughs> Why the Magi? Why the Magi? You know, like, the, yeah. because they they seem like an important part to the story only because we put them on the mantle with our with our nativity scene and we include them in the story. But it seems like the Magi probably didn't arrive 
to where Jesus was until maybe he was up to the age of two. Um, sure. He was probably, I mean, at least, maybe six months old at least to maybe even a year and a half. Right. We get the picture of this sort of hallmark, you know. <laughs> they arrive right next to the shepherds. And next and to the shepherds. Angels everyone, singing. Everyone's and... there. And, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> totally. and, and I think it's probably a little different than that and a little yeah. more messy. And, yeah. Um, they arrive at a home. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of wonder, and I don't have an answer for this, but I wonder, like, why did Mary and Joseph stay in Bethlehem? Like, why not go back to Nazareth where they were living before they went for the mm -hmm. census? I mean, does the census take that long to take? Or but yeah, there's a lot of now. lot of time periods in between here that yeah. where think life is happening. Yeah, like just ordinary life. Ordinary sort of... life, and isn't that so true for all of us as mm -hmm. well? There's these big milestone moments that we like write down and we put in our memory bank, but the ordinary parts are just as important. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's good. So I think God used the Magi. God invited the Magi to be a part of this story because God is for all people, all nations, all ethnicities, all races. God is a global God, all religions even. If these Magi are pagan, if, if they are not a part of Yahweh and God invites them to be part of the story, then God invites from other religions and other perspectives and other faiths and says, come abide, I've got more for you to see, taste, and experience. Not condemning their way, not, not saying that they were wrong or judging who they are, but saying, come, taste, see, be a part of what I'm doing. And that's so, that's just so compelling for me. Um, and I wonder if their, if their visit was to help maybe Mary and Joseph's hearts to soften, because we talk about them going to Egypt. Like maybe, maybe, you know, you, you see the, the Israelites and their their whole the, the whole Torah was really about. I mean, so much of it was to to be hospitable to the um, to the foreigners in the in your midst. And maybe they were used to being hospitable to the foreigners, but for them to be shown hospitality, like maybe then then maybe they had to know what it was like to be shown hospitality. Mary and Joseph, yeah. Yeah, no, that's good. I mean, I, th I think that's what that's why I think this the phrase, you know, the what I call the holy whole, hospitality. holy hospitality. It's yeah. like it's 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 so true in this story. Um, partly, I just was thinking about Mary and Joseph, um, like their their ability to accept um, something that was someone who wasn't from their tradition yeah. or their perspective and who they didn't know at all, and yeah. yet. And yet they listened yeah. to them. Like they actually left, you know. <laughs> totally, totally. I know, it's absolutely incredible. And so I, you know, I think that there's there's like this this reach of mm. of who God uses to continue the story of God's abundant e extreme love for all people. Um, and I kind of wonder also about like the Magi's gifts. Did the gifts they bring, this gold that represented royalty, this uh, frankincense that represented divinity, like incense, um, the myrrh that represented humanity, the things of, of, of flesh, essentially, mm -hmm. life and death and birth and everything. Did, did they give them these gifts? Um, I'm, I'm sure it meant all sorts of things, but I wonder if they were able to use those gifts as a form of charity to get to Egypt. Like it wasn't mm -hmm. their way of like funding, financing 
their trip for this very poor family. Sure, because I mean, essentially, they're you know they're become homeless and yeah. sort of refugee status. Yeah, yeah. When they have to leave their you know their home and, and, and head somewhere else, and and think about where they're going. I mean, they're yeah. going to Egypt. I mean, Egypt is that's the that's the story of enslavement. That's right. Um, that's right. That's where the pharaohs exist. You know, yeah. that's um, that's where it all kind of unraveled. Yeah, and I, you and I were talking earlier, and I was like, why didn't they just go back to Nazareth? It's not like Herod was going to kill anybody in Nazareth. And and it makes me ask the question, why this way? Why did God show up in this way? Why go to Egypt? Why have the Magi? Why was Jesus born with the scandal of his birth? His mother, you know, considered uh, hmm. that you know she was she got pregnant before she was married. A single mother in those beginning times before she was with before she was with Joseph. I mean, like, why did God come in this way? Jesus was called a mamzer, which yeah. means bastard. I mean, I mean, did you I, want to say something? Yeah, there? well, I mean, I just a couple of things that come to me are one, I think the both of the Magi and Mary and Joseph, um, as it relates to Jesus, it, it costs something. Yeah. You know, it costs something for the Magi to to go out on their their own journey to and and to pay homage or to worship yes. something they've never seen. Very or, inconvenient. Well, not just what do you mean by inconvenient? Like, I mean, that's just they had to travel. They had to leave their family. Well, they had it, to do it all cost those them something. It cost them absolutely. Yeah, it cost them something. Right. And then Mary and Joseph, you know, not only are you know just kind of given this child, but um, you know they. I think taking this other route to Egypt, I mean, there's, there's, there was a cost in like yeah. holding, holding Jesus. And, and in some ways, I mean, they were like, they were almost like the voice of God for like, mm. for like a, just a, for a short period of time. I mean, I mean, you have to use, there's a phrase in uh, one of these people we read, his name's Walter Brueggemann and he calls it the theological imagination mm -hmm. and it's just this idea that we we god's given us these imaginations to use to to add depth and color to these stories some of these stories because mm -hmm. we don't have all the details but if that we did with these books would be a lot longer than they are and you know you just have to think about all the different experiences that mary and joseph had along the way down yeah. to egypt and back and maybe not understanding why they had to leave but they did um yeah. and they did because they thought they I don't think it was just survival. I think it was, it was a, it was a way to, um, to continue perhaps the hospitality that they had ex had experienced from God. Yeah, yeah, that that trust in God to continue that absolutely. Hmm. So, but it does make me wonder, like, why why did God come this way? Why did God show up in these sorts of circumstances and and in a place of lack almost, like where God. God could have arrived in with the Magi, with all the wealth of the world with him, and yet God arrived in the lack where, yeah, Jesus was considered um, untrustworthy by some. Uh, he was, his parents had to accept charity to meet the daily needs of their lives. You, you see the story that we read with Joseph having to take his family to a new land with new people. He didn't have a job waiting for the, for him at the end of it. He had no work guaranteed for him. He had no home. He had no people there, no family. And yet he trusted God 
took his family to a place where he had no one. They spent four years there as refugees. Like, why did God come as a refugee? Jesus was homeless. Jesus was tempted. Uh, Jesus was made fun of and called names. Jesus was betrayed and stabbed in the back by his friends. Jesus suffered and he grieved. He, he was hungry. He experienced irritation. Jesus was tortured and abandoned and left alone to die. Why did God come this way? I mean, I, I, I think... I think I think God experienced the fullness of what it meant to be human. Yeah. And in the fullness of what it meant to be human, sometimes we can just think of the lack. But even within the lack, there's so much goodness. Like the milestones of the common time. Like I can imagine Jesus having the these like... The milestones in the common time. That is a title <laughs> of a bumper sticker and a book. That's good. Oh my gosh. So, but, but like I can imagine Jesus having his belly ache from laughter. Like I can imagine Jesus having game nights with his friends and dance parties in their living room and story times, like making up the most crazy story. Okay, now you taught mine. Okay, now you taught mine. Like amazing food and good wine and weddings and adventures. And, and I can imagine him racing his friends to like get to the table first or uh, tickling his younger siblings and put, tucking them in bed and, and speaking words of truth and stories over them as he tucked them in. I, I can imagine that his first friends were Egyptians and he was so sad to leave them behind when they had to go. Like this is what Jesus experienced, the fullness of life, the milestones and the common time, all of it was included. Why did God come this way? You know, like, why are all these pieces included in his story? And I think it's because God wants to understand, wanted to understand what it meant to be human, to experience everything. So we would know that in our lack, in our suffering, in our joys, in our times of hardship and in our times of great uh, rejoicing, that God is with us, that God knows what it's like. That's, that's uh, Emmanuel. Emmanuel. God with us. And all of it. Yeah. But I also want to talk about really quick, because I know we're running out of time here, but um, who, who God came for. Because God not only came for you and me, God came for people like the Magi. God, God arrived for the Magi. And, and the Magi were pagan men who didn't know the Jewish God. They, they didn't know... The Jewish God in the ways that we would think that they would need to know. They, they, they didn't believe the right things or worship the right way or say the right prayers. They worshiped all kinds of gods. They would be the tarot card reading, dream interpreting, incense burning, patchouli smelling, yoga instructor kind of person of today stating that you are your own goddess. Man, they don't belong in the church, do they? I think what is so interesting is that God chooses the most inopportune people to bring forth the good news. God isn't only interested in the minivan driving, shirt tucked in people with nice marriages and nice kids and a nice 401k who are having a nice life and 
going to a nice church and a nice Christianity. God shines the star above the gay kid and beckons him to come a little closer to the beauty of Jesus. God turns on the lights for the Muslims and the Christians, for the drag queen and James Dobson, for the addict and the abstainer, for the far left and the far right, for the refugee and the immigrant and the houseless and the widow and the orphan and the wealthy in Beverly Hills, whoever you think is the other, because we all have that other in our mind, God is for hmm. that person and is never further away from them as God is than to us. And God is so close. God has come near. God's reach is right here. It's like the great yes. Yeah. And I think the beauty of it is that when we encounter Jesus Christ, when we encounter Christ, even when we encounter the people closest to Jesus, because Mary and Joseph were the ones that welcomed the Magi in, Jesus wasn't able to do so at that point. But when the Magi encountered Mary and Joseph, and when the Magi encountered Jesus Christ, they left in a different way than when they arrived. And that's what happens when we encounter Jesus. Yeah, that's good. No matter what, no matter who we are, whether we're the biggest sinners in the room or the most holiest saints, which friends we are both at the same time, our encounter with the obscenely embarrassing love of Jesus Christ for each person, for ourselves, as we currently are, not as we hope we will be or hope that they will be someday, it demands that we start walking away in a different direction. We bring all that Jesus love with us and it demands that we walk in a different way than when we arrived. Friends, the love that Jesus has for you, the love that Jesus has for those that you believe might not belong in the story, might not have their place in that story, is something that transforms our lives. We are not called to be Jesus followers by association. We are called to be Jesus followers by transformation. Mm. Mm. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. Go in God's grace. Amen.